0: Before we get started, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Atypical Rainbow. We're getting better at putting up articles about uh, things to do with being queer and having autism that you may not be aware of. So please make sure you uh, check it out. And it's also where we uh, notify you of new episodes if you have not already subscribed. Speaking of which, make sure you subscribe wherever you get good podcasts so you keep up to date with all the, uh, the fun stuff that we're trying to put out. Today's episode is part of the series Spectrum Analysis, uh, entitled The Uncomfortable Thing. I was kind of thinking about this, particularly in light of what's been happening lately in Victoria. Uh, And well, look, obviously worldwide, we're having issues with COVID. But from an autistic perspective, what it made me kind of think about was the concept of pathological demand avoidance. Now, this is a clinical term that's sort of run through um, psychological circles. It's not formally recognised by the psychological community, but basically it's sort of this sub-feature of autism that describes the presentation of not being willing to do things that other people tell you to do. Now, for I I don't know why it needed a separate label. I kind of think that's just kind of autism, even though it's not part of the definition. But in medicine, we like to have definitions and labels and criteria and all those sorts of things. But in a way, I think that applies a lot to people in general. I think there's just a lot of people out there who don't really like being told what to do. And I think it, it's kind of... The question becomes... How far should we push ourselves, or how far we should we expect other people to push themselves to do the thing that's right, even if it's not the thing that makes them comfortable? I think that is a very difficult question.
1: Um, I think most adults will resent, to some degree, being treated like a child. So I think that a lot of the measures having been put in and taking away what are normally considered adult freedoms people
0: have become resentful of sometimes. But I guess the thing is, though, like, is there really a difference between you choosing to limit yourself versus someone else asking you to limit yourself? Well, yeah, I I think there is because it's control. Mm.
1: Like, it's not just autistic people who have a desire to be in
0: control of their lives. Most adults would have a desire to be in control of their lives. That is true. And I guess if you are willing to relinquish that control, then that's, that in a way is still your choice. Like I, I I faced this uh, a little bit back when I was in private general practice, you know, uh, a lot of my patients, I, I took a very, um, I guess what they, what they call platonic approach, which is more like, this is what I'm offering you have a think about it, decide for yourself. But I had a number of patients, particularly the older ones who were just like, just tell me what to do. Just Mm. tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, then here you go. And that's what the medical community has been trying to work against. We're kind of fighting that paternalistic kind of model of medical care. Admittedly, a lot of people still do it. But fighting against it to kind of make the whole process communal and integrative with the patient. But I, I find that to be really challenging. When you kind of go, I can see what can help you. But if you don't choose that, well, then that's fine, but you kind of have to suffer the consequences, and they don't want to suffer the consequences. So you're like, well, then you're kind of stuck in a position where you can't win. So what are you going to do?
1: Yeah, I think like there's a positive side to having a parental-type figure helping you. Like, when you're scared, sometimes you want to be like a child, even if you're an adult. Yeah. So I think some of... Even, like, in Victoria, people who are very positive about the Premier... And also, I noticed this happen in Western Australia, where they're very positive about the Premier... They almost call him Dad or Daddy, like Daddy Dan. Like this kind of thing, like he's keeping us safe. So I think that maybe some people with their doctors kind of like, okay, you, you have the knowledge, I don't. I'm scared. I want you to basically step in as a parental figure at this point. Yeah. And I think some people who are scared want their premier to step in as a parental figure. But I
0: think there can be some real conflict between anxiety versus that feeling of vulnerability as well. Because I think that on one hand, I think people want to be able to control what's happening around them. And that's why they kind of resist the idea of people telling them what to do. But on the other hand, they want to be saved, right? Because they may not know enough or they may not feel like they have the right equipment or the right resourcing to do it. And those two are inherently um, working against each other. So... How do you convince people to choose a side? How do you convince people to kind of go one way or the other? I think people are just going to
1: choose a side. I, like, I think there are the people who are going to want to be told how to stay safe. And on the other side of the spectrum are the people who don't want to be told what to do. And no matter what you say, they're going to defy and be oppositional. But in the middle, you have the movable middle. The people who aren't scared and confused and want someone to save them, but also are willing to be told what to do. And those are the people who we can probably get to follow the health orders if they're presented well and they feel like there's a lot of science and logic behind them.
0: I think that's what's unique about autism, though, because I think for people with autism particularly, you, you can actually be quite equally on, the same, on both sides of that line, because... The way, and I I can't remember if I've used this analogy before, but the way that autism was once explained to me is that for people who are neurotypical, neurotypical people filter out the information before it gets to their brain. So they've already learned to shut out things or they they have this innate ability to shut out information before it gets there. And then by the time they're at the point of processing it, they've already kind of figured out what they want to do neuroatypical people take everything in and then process it internally, but the ability to process it internally will vary between individuals. And that's where the overthinking comes from. Because when you overthink, it's because you, you can see all the possibilities. You're taking in all the information and you're seeing both sides of it. Uh, whether you call that empathy or whether you call that logical processing is debatable. But I think that's really the challenge with autism is really being able to exist With those conflicting ideas, knowing that there is an argument for both and still ending up choosing one. So are they in the movable middle or are they actually like a split personality?
1: Yeah, I guess with this sort of defiance that you're talking about, is this a situation where an autistic person knows what the right choice is, but they make the wrong choice? Almost they can't stop themselves from making the wrong choice? In a way,
0: uh, like, the way I often find it in my sort of work experience is that when a person is calm... And when a person is in a good situation, they can make reasoned, considered choices, even if it's not typical of their natural behaviour. But if it's something that generates a lot of emotion, whether it's because of past traumas, whether it's because of their inherent autism, like sensory overload, that's when the decision-making process gets really affected. And so what they then drill back down to is what do their instincts tell them to do? And sometimes it's just a matter of avoiding the thing that makes them feel uncomfortable. So... You know, if we use uh, wearing masks as an example. So, if you can find a way to, uh, you know, for an autistic person to feel comfortable uh, you wearing a mask. So, they might be, um, you know, in their favorite place. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they might be doing their favorite activity. It's okay. But if they're in a large crowded area that they even feel uncomfortable, the mask comes off. Mm-hmm. So, that it's what that speaks to is our ability to tolerate things that are uncomfortable dependent on not just the task itself that's uncomfortable, but our overall feelings. Okay, so
1: you're saying that they're kind of working against themselves by taking their mask off in a more dangerous situation because they're overwhelmed. Yes. Yep.
0: And I think that's really the challenge, is that how do you equip someone with autism with the ability to reason these actions out, to kind of acknowledge that the thing that they're doing is making them uncomfortable but that they kind of still need to do it and they still need to last through it.
1: Yeah, I guess
0: or you just I guess try to create a
1: situation that suits their needs. Yeah. So like if they if they feel like they can't breathe in crowds and therefore they freak out more on wearing the mask in a crowd, you'd probably want to avoid those situations,
0: yeah. But there are certain environmental factors that are hard to change for. Yeah. You know? So that's like
1: obviously there's never going to be a perfect
0: thing where you can control everything. Yeah.
1: But say they had a like, you know, you want to take them out more. Maybe that maybe going somewhere crowded is not a good plan. Maybe you could adapt it to a park with a few people, mm. or even just an outdoor setting, so it's safer if they do take their mask off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think let's let's talk a little bit about the movable middle because that's that's a fairly common political concept isn't
1: it? Yeah like the movable middle um, like most of the time when I hear about it it's when progressive movements are trying to get widespread help like gay rights or black rights or trans rights.
0: Yeah, I think there is sort of an internal, like a kind of a smaller scale kind of version of that within all of us. I think all of us have, depending on the issue, of course, a movable middle. And I find that that's a a really interesting, but also kind of exhausting space to be in because often when I'm trying to advise people about what might be valuable, I'd like, I want to identify where their movable middle is. Yeah. And I want to know, well, what is the thing that you need to know? That'll help you understand my position. Or actually, let's be honest. I want to convince them of, that I'm right. Like, that. that's really what I'm trying to achieve. But I, I
1: guess if you're trying to find a way to turn their non-negotiable into a movable middle, then you might be barking up the wrong tree. What do you mean? Like, an example, like, say, having kids. Hmm. So, if there's someone whose non-negotiable thing is they don't want to have kids, then if you come and you go, okay, how do I make the them, using the movable middle, want to have children. You're not going to. Like, you can't just say, oh, I see that you're non-negotiable on this, but I'm going to
0: try to make find a way to move you on it. But isn't it funny that that happens all... Like, that's a very common... Maybe it's a TV trope rather than a real-life trope. I don't know. That's a fairly common example uh, when it comes to particularly heterosexual relationships. Yeah. I I think it's very relatable. That's
1: why I chose it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I, I think because, yeah, like, non-negotiables when it comes to, like, dating. Like, you know, if someone, if one person definitely wants kids and one person definitely doesn't want kids, doesn't, nothing else probably matters. They probably shouldn't be together.
0: But do you think that there is a uh, myth out there in society that, that, like, for that particular example, that actually isn't a non-negotiable? That people change their mind? Oh, yeah, literally? there's,
1: for women, there, there is this myth that, it's impossible for a woman to not want children. And I think I've spoken about that before, that that is a myth. (laughs) Mm. There have been people who have had children saying they didn't want to have children, and everyone's like, oh, no, you'll change your mind, or, oh, no, when you're old, you'll regret your decision. And then they later go, no, I
0: I should have stuck with my guns. Mm. So, I guess in that example, you know, how long do you stick around? Like, let's say that you kind of accept the non-negotiable to begin with and then later on, you change your mind but the other person doesn't. Well, I've seen that happen and like, it, in the case I saw it happen, the marriage ended. Yeah. That's what
1: pre-marriage counselling is for. To yeah. To try to make sure you're not making a terrible error.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, maybe that's what it is about the movable middle. Sometimes it's about just understanding the person's position, you know? Like, to kind of figure out, well, why, where are your hesitancy is coming from? Where are the reasons? For... Yeah, like,
1: so, like, vaccines is probably a big one at the moment. So, you kind of go, okay, so, are there people out there who are just really confused? Because the messaging has, in Australia, has been very confusing. Mm. And those people are not anti-vaxxers who are, like, taking to the streets in the middle of the pandemic to protest. Mm. They're just confused. And also, especially non-English speaking people, because... The messages in English are confusing enough. If you're only getting a few messages in your native language, then it would be even more confusing. And it would be very easy to freeze. Like, you know, flight, fight, freeze. Mm. Like, if you don't know that the vaccine you're going to get is safe and not going to kill you, then you just don't get anything. Yeah. And statistically, you come out as a non, non-vaccinated non person. But really, it's a lot more complicated than that.
0: Yeah, and I, I respect that the, the messaging has been incredibly complicated, but I think the problem with the COVID vaccine is that it's probably one of the first vaccines that have been critiqued out in the open, I Well, guess. They, they do say, like, who knows what the brand
1: name of your flu vax is. Mm. You just go and they give you a vaccine. You're not going to your doctor saying, I like this Or I'd like this, or I'd like to wait for this one to come, or this one to finish their testing. Yeah. Like, we have more information than we've ever had, and it has
0: created confusion, I guess. And I think this is part of the conundrum for me as a science, logic, autistic kind of person. My gut reaction is that when someone is experiencing hesitancy, the thing to do is to hit them with facts, right? You know, so obviously the, the earliest and the ongoing concern about um, the AstraZeneca vaccine is is blood clots, mm-hmm. right? But we know that from watching Europe, well, UK particularly, have the AZ be their predominant vaccine, that the rate of blood clots isn't particularly high. No, it's tiny. Yeah. But that's the thing that everyone talks about, because of the media, or yeah. because of this thing they focus on, or because people fear the, the the negative that they know, right? Well, yeah. Like, yeah, you don't want to be that one in a
1: hundred thousand people. Like, someone has to be... Someone has to draw the short straw. Mm. And I think... If you know there's a short store in there, you're like, I don't want to even draw from this, even though, you know, I'm more likely to be struck by lightning. I can't avoid being struck by
0: lightning, but I can avoid taking this vaccine. But it, like, I think the example that often comes to my mind, which I'm sure has been used everywhere is seatbelts or even driving a car. Let's 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 broaden it out for a second. Plenty of people drive a car. The ra- the likelihood of you dying in a car crash, I think, is higher. I would imagine be higher than the likelihood you get a blood clot from AZ. Yes. But actually, when it comes to seatbelts, that's not probably the right
1: comparison. Really? Because wearing... So, basically saying, is it dangerous to wear a seatbelt? <laughs> so, when seatbelts are being brought in, the argument, the equivalent argument that was made was... What if your car crashes into the water and you drown because you can't get out because you've got a seatbelt on? Yeah. I don't think anyone knows anyone that that's happened to. Mm. But at the time, people were afraid that would happen. People did not want to be the one in a million people who accidentally drove into a dam and drowned because they were in a seatbelt. Mm. But it's just not a threat we really think about. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get to a point where we don't... Think about... Like, like obviously, doctors will have to think about it. They'll have to give warnings of, you know, if after four days, if you have these symptoms, you know, go to hospital. But the general public
0: won't be afraid of the vaccine anymore. Mm. I, I think that's why I broadened it out. Like, I, I agree. The seatbelt thing probably didn't quite work. But even if we think about driving a car, right? I think the mm. way the way I kind of see it is more from a practical perspective, Right. We all take the risk of driving a car because the car gives us things, mm-hmm. right? It gives us the ability to go further in shorter times. It means we don't have to take public transport. We don't, we're not operating on other people's schedules. Like, there's lots of really all positives. And so, we're willing to take the risk because it benefits us. Yes, that is true. Whereas the vaccine, because it's not something that seems necessary, in inverted commas, then we're kind of like, well, is it is it giving me enough? Mm. To really take the risk, and so that for me is why some I, I have to kind of remember that when I'm arguing with again with using logic because mm-hmm. if I argue using logic like statistics, it's not convincing enough because the problem is it's not addressing what the person's need is, what the person's concern is, you yeah. Know? And there will be emotions, like for
1: instance, you're more likely to die in a car crash
0: than a plane crash, but people are more afraid of dying in a plane crash, yes, yeah, absolutely. In a Malcolm Gladwell book, because of course Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about the London Blitz. And so this is all going to come back in a second, right? He talks about the London Blitz and a a group of um, researchers did a study on the effect of the Blitz on people's sort of lives and particularly their psychology. And the researchers split them up into three different groups. The first group was the dead for obvious reasons. The second group were the near misses. So the near misses were people who, where the bombings occurred within a certain radius. And for them, uh, they were more likely to experience trauma and mental issues as a result of being, um, you know, a victim of the of London bombings. Mm-hmm. But then there were the remote misses. And this is where it becomes relevant to vaccine hesitancy at the moment. The remote misses were people who were still within the vicinity of London, like still within the what do they call the the suburb of London or whatever whatever it is. And they were unaffected, and in fact, many of them became overconfident. One particular person who was asked about how they felt um about the bombings, and particularly the question of would they leave the city because they're afraid of the bombings, said to the researcher, "Why would I leave London? This is so exciting, right?" That is a weird reaction. You'd think there'll be a weird reaction to watching your city be destroyed and people dying. But this is what was happening. And so, to me, I think that's what's happened to Australia. I think we're a remote miss. Maybe not now. Maybe not Sydney. Some
1: parts. So, one of the things is that Western Australia has probably the least COVID and is kind of locked away. And their vaccination rates are not good. And the fact is that at some point, they're going to have to open up to someone. <laughs> yeah. Which means they need to get vaccinated, but they're just not. Whereas when there was a lockdown in Victoria, Victoria got lots of vaccinations, maybe partially because people couldn't go anywhere except to be vaccinated. So we were leading, but then when Sydney started having more, they did more vaccinations. They started vaccinating some people randomly. Which is a bit weird. We won't go into that. Um, but yeah, so in Sydney, everyone's being vaccinated. And I think still Sydney is kind of ahead. Like, there is the supply issue. Um, but yeah, you can just look at the states of Australia to look at what you're talking about. Like, the ones that are being, you know, seeing something at the end of their street being an exposure site. Versus someone seeing the other side of the continent being an exposure site. Yeah is seemingly affecting vaccine rates, even though I think all the states are meant to be getting the same amount of vaccines up until recently.
0: So, and this is this is one of the things that me and my autistic alien brain thinks. It's like, why do people have to wait till disasters at the door before they do something about it? Like, that that bugs me. Part of it is my medical training, because in particularly in general practice, they teach you about preventative medicine. So they're like, don't wait till you have the heart attack before you start exercising and eat better. Do it now so that you don't have the heart attack. I think that's what I struggle with. And so that's why, again, the whole idea of the movable middle and trying to convince people, this is why we're recommending it. Please don't wait till children are dying or, Mm. or your, your close relative dies before you do something about it. Like that, it, it bothers me. I just kind of feel like that doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah.
1: It, like, there's a lot, there's a lot of other elements, like possible generational elements that... The generation who is being offered vaccines are not taking them, and the generation who aren't want them desperately. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, th- there's a lot of factors, but I think, yeah, there's definitely... When a city goes into lockdown in Australia, people are getting vaccinated. Whereas there's, com- I guess, completely different issues in America, because they've had COVID all over the place all the time. So you'd think they'd all get
0: vaccinated. That's not the case. Yeah, and I think that comes back to a culture thing as well. Yeah, a culture and a political thing. I remember someone saying that the attitudes of the country really impact the way that people have responded to COVID. So in America, there's always been this very me-first kind of attitude, you know, and so rather than thinking about the masses and thinking about the society at large, even though they claim to be this one great nation, I think they think they have different views of what that nation looks like. Whereas I think maybe like uh, well the UK probably have have had a greater uptake. They probably still got some degree of that attitude, but what their current vaccination rate is what seventy five percent of adults anyway. Probably. And then I think like Australia, you know, and and New Zealand have been relatively good. I mean, putting aside the the anti mass, anti lockdown protests and all the people that, like in the cities oh, yeah, right there's, there's always going to be there's some that everywhere people, right exactly but overall we've been relatively compliant yeah. in, and relatively kind of recognizing good at recognizing the importance of doing something for the community which i mean how do you create that how is it, it are these kind of cultural inherent beliefs which i don't remember anyone necessarily teaching us like i don't mm-hmm. like how do we convince people of that you know Yeah, that is... I don't know how you convince people of it.
1: Maybe we've done other things where we've kind of understood the greater good. Like, maybe our gun laws and the success of our gun laws make us less individualistic. Mm. That we're kind of like, okay, we're actually doing really well. We don't have gun violence because we took action Mm. and said, for the greater good, we're going to do this. So I don't know, maybe that set us up to be this. Like, I think the thing is that what we thought our society was, this rebellious, you know, ex-convicts, didn't turn out to be true. (laughs) We're much more compliant than people probably would have predicted we're going to be. So I think that our national identity was a myth, we've discovered. Mm. So where our actual
0: identity come from, I don't know. Coming back to the idea of um, the movable middle, I, I what I'm noticing with this lockdown particularly, which, what are we, 6.0 at the moment? There are a lot more What's people... We'll take a 5B or 6. Yeah. I, I, w- I would call it 5.1, because really, why are we putting the point at the end if we're not going to, like, use that value, people? Come on. But yeah, at lockdown 5.1, I think there are a lot more people taking liberal interpretations of the lockdown
1: rules... I'm not sure if that's true. I just think maybe we're at a point where we're
0: hearing about specific cases that makes it seem that way. Oh, no, I'm talking about amongst people I know personally. So, not just from, like, the the, the cases... Okay, we well, my friends have been good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm. I'm hearing, I know is being well behaved. I'm hearing friends are friends, um, but but you know I've, I've had these discussions where people are like, well, it's not technically against the rules, and I'm like, but that's not the point. Like the rules are there because you're not honoring the spirit of the rules. Like the whole point of you know like carrying around a coffee mug so you don't have to wear a mask, like that kind of dodginess is again within the rules. It's allowing it's allowing that kind of accommodation so people still feel like they can function, mm. but to do that. For your own again, for your own comfort because you don't like being uncomfortable. Yeah, again, it's the intent. I think is the is the difference. Whereas the rule was meant to accommodate for people who legitimately have or need the exception. I guess.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the things with medical exemptions to masks. People's first thoughts is that you're an idiot, not the have a medical exemption.
0: I, which is unfortunate. It is. I think it might depend on which perspective. Like I, I. I, I will admit that my instinct when I see someone wearing a ma- not wearing a mask is why aren't you wearing a mask and why are you not doing this? But I then challenge it by going, well, actually, they might have a medical exemption. Like, it might be a legitimate reason for it. Yeah, but if... Like, I'm not, I'm not going to say that we're amazing, awesome,
1: amazing people. <laughs> but if our first impression is why are you not wearing a mask, even though we're in the autism world... Yeah. It means that if an autistic person is walking around with a meddling... Medical exemption, and they're for not wearing a mask, they're probably going to experience, I would say, pretty much everyone assuming they're an idiot.
0: Yeah there was a, I overheard a conversation um from uh, of two nurses talking about this thing and one of them was out in the community and saw someone who wasn't wearing a mask with their elderly parent who was wearing a mask and the nurse like let her have it this is like just like how how could you not do this i'm wearing a mask i don't like it but i'm doing it for your mom and just absolute tirade and the second nurse is going good on you for speaking up and i went Actually, you've kind of broken the rules. Like that's you don't you don't know like you don't know why they weren't wearing the mask, and you you might have made them feel bad for something that they like. They might want to wear a mask but have issues with it. And I like it, it's weird hearing it from the other side. You know, like the kind of the extremes of it. We really neat mm. like I actually think we should all kind of be in the middle to some degree. We should because I think being in the middle shows that you've thought about. Both sides?
1: Yeah. I I, I think the problem is that if everyone who didn't have a medical exemption was just following the rules, then we'd all be like, oh, that person has a medical exemption. It's that the anti-masker peoples have ruined it for the people with legitimate issues. Mm. And that makes me angry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But... I mean, this is life, isn't it? Like, there's always going to be someone out there who's going to take advantage of a situation or ruin it for someone else and make life harder for someone else. I know. But this, I
1: don't know, does particularly strike a nerve with me.
0: Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. So, let's take a a parenting perspective on this. So, you know, luckily our kids are under 12. Um, I think they might be okay wearing a mask. I don't know if they necessarily have those kinds of issues. Um, I don't know. Like, we tried to put masks
1: on them at the start of the pandemic, I think. And they we? didn't like it. Because oh, your f- mum uh, had special... Like, your mum made. I oh, got these, special got these specially masks made, made yeah. like, really fancy, with a filter in it, masks for them. Yeah. Um, and Jake especially wouldn't wear it. Mm. Um, if they had to, I think they are rule-abiding enough. They probably would.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know what level... Of distress it would create in them. Mm. To have to wear a mask for a day. So. If it got particularly bad. I might be looking for medical exemptions. Mm. Um, This is obviously. At least two years away. So hopefully things will be better. God willing yes. By the middle of 2023.
0: Mm. But I've
1: I've already started preparing them. For the idea that. um, If they can be vaccinated. We will be getting them vaccinated. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't. Like, I know it sounds a bit weird. I don't care how much distress the getting vaccinated causes because it's just a short thing. It's like their childhood vaccines. You don't not do it because the baby's crying.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I guess this is the advantage of that whole parental authority kind of thing, really, isn't it? If they were an adult, we wouldn't necessarily be enforcing it in the same way, even if they were, you know, adult children.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess our adult children still... um, in our care we might be pushing it i don't know i guess your patients at what point do they have the right to not want something that they don't really understand why it's happening
0: well it depends on their level of cognitive ability but mm. if with with enough um, you know if they have if they have a certain level of intellectual disability and are not capable of understanding the consequences of their actions like they'd actually don't have a choice. Yeah. Um, they, their choices are made by a representative, usually a parent, but it mm-hmm. could be someone else who kind of decides on their behalf. There are big arguments uh, about the idea of consent, whether or not a representative should be consenting, representing what the person's interest would be mm-hmm. versus doing the thing that the representative thinks is right.
1: Yeah. But I, I guess it like it's kind of guesswork when you go, okay, if they didn't have intellectual disability.
0: Yeah, like I think I think that kind of dilemma applies more to someone who had maybe previously had the ability to express an opinion or you could mm. kind of tell what the issue was and then lost it because of illness or yeah. or whatever. If they were an anti-vaxxer <clears throat> protester, I guess. Yeah. You'd, you'd have the information. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But like, but I guess maybe your question is more about distress. So if, let's say, medical procedures cause well, something, Yeah, I'm
1: kind of saying that if a person with intellectual disability doesn't understand what the vaccine really is, mm. you know that they're going to be distressed by the process of being vaccinated. Yeah. Like, a like you know, childhood vaccines, distress children. Is it still okay to give them the vaccine knowing that they don't want the process of being of being vaccinated,
0: but if they could properly understand, they'd probably want to have been vaccinated. Yeah, that's it's a really complicated question. I think, let's take intent out of the equation because let's say you you can't establish intent because, uh, again, there was no previous behavior or communication for you to be able to interpret, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say they've always been under care and are nonverbal or at the very least don't have a... Uh, complex enough expressive communication skill to be able to tell you these sorts of things, right? Um, then it comes back to level of distress. So mm-hmm. is, it, is the amount of distress worth the, the benefit of being on the vaccine? Right now, there are programs um, along the eastern seaboard particularly that are trying to overcome that to try and create, um, you know, autistic-friendly environments, minimal people, low lighting, low noise, really trying to, you know, optimize the environment to make sure that um, the person, obviously more autistic people, don't, don't become overwhelmed as part of the experience of being in some sort of medical clinic. Yeah. So, if, you know, and if that works, that's great. Some of them, you know, might need anxiolytics of some sort. And that's again, that's a really that's a grey area. But once again, legally, it still comes back to the carer's decision, you mm-hmm. know. So basically, it if if the if we're in a situation we a situation where the patient in question is incapable of expressing their opinion and there's no way of, of having of determining their opinion based on previous history, the carer just kind of gets it done, and and, and it's up to them as to how much distress they're willing to put up with. Yeah. Um, you know would can- there be an option to do it under anesthetic the resourcing isn't there yeah there are there are talks f- uh, for it happening but the resourcing just isn't there at the moment um, because you know we still need two vaccines and that's the thing to to, to get anast- like a proper anesthetic mm-hmm. um, for, for everyone for twice like that's that's a lot. And the, the, the Do you crime. think
1: if um, we get the Johnson & Johnson one dose, it would make a difference? It would make a difference. It would make a massive difference. Yeah. Absolutely. So you just basically vaccinate them when they're already under anesthetic for other medical yeah. care.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I guess that's a good example of how accommodations can be made, mm-hmm. uh, like at least in theory. And again, there are small programs um, across eastern australia i don't know much about western australia or south australia or the northern territory but i know that along the eastern seaboard there's there are programs currently in development or being explored all with the intent to try and um, address the health needs of people who would normally have limited access to health needs including mm. vaccinations but look as as with a lot of these things um disability is under underestimated, the impact of disability, the amount of help mm-hmm. that people with disability require to get the kind of care that they deserve and are entitled to is a, is a big issue. You know, mm-hmm. the NDIS is a lovely step. It really is. Like, it's a really good step forward, but there's so much more that needs to be done. And, you know, particularly in this climate where we're trying to get uh, people who are quite vulnerable, you know, mm-hmm. get people to, to get the healthcare they need to be vaccinated... Well, I think Australia has definitely proven
1: that it's easy for the federal government to announce we will immunise disabled
0: people, but... Apparently, it's very hard for them to actually do that. You know, there's there's that um, that image that I've, I'm pretty sure I've spoken about. If you have three kids of different heights behind a fence, mm-hmm. in order for all of them to look over the fence, they need different sized boxes. And I think what the federal government forgets is that for people with disability, they need a much larger box. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, we'll just give you the same boxes everyone else gets, right? So that it's fair. Like, no... You need more, like they need more resourcing, more protection, more consideration, like just more needs to be done because yeah, the, the kinds of uh, difficulties that a person with disability faces is far greater and yeah, it just more needs to overcome it. It's not, equality isn't about giving everyone the same amount. Equality is about getting everyone to the same place. Yeah. But I assume they, like they put them at the top of the list. They made, I assume some
1: plans, I don't know. This vaccine rollout's a bit of a shamble So I don't know what plans they actually made Yeah
0: um, But even then they couldn't get it done Well because they had an intent But they didn't have an idea <laughs> Yes but like it, it wasn't like they're just like Oh all disabled people can now go to their GP Because that would have been ridiculous I almost think they did though Like I genuinely believe that part of them went Well everyone's got a GP right Let's just get it done No well they did that with the other non-disabled people Mm. I think
1: the disabled people, they were planning on sending contractors into the group homes, which doesn't cover over
0: in any anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, it's it, pretty dumb. It, it showed a lack of understanding of the breadth and depth yeah. of disability and how it impacts people and the variety of things. You know, uh, we no longer have institutions as of the mid 90s, so it's not like every person with a disability who isn't living with a family is just living in the one place. Like,. Mm. They, they have their own homes and they're spread out everywhere. So how do you reach everyone? Mm. I think that's probably a, a place to end it. I think yes. we could probably talk about this for longer, but best not to. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. We know that some of this material might have been a bit controversial, maybe a bit triggering. Um, we apologize, but we do think it is an important thing to for everyone to consider. Take care, look after yourself, and um, we'll talk to you next time.